0: At the heart of Christianity, as Steve was sharing with us last week, is relationship. Restored relationship with our Creator, which gives us a basis for Christian behaviour. Behaviour that results from having died and raised with Christ, and of having our lives hidden with Christ in God. It's the upward call of God in Christ that we're looking at this morning. So what we're talking about, if you want a phrase that sums up this morning, it's out with the old and in with the new. Out with the old and in with the new. Slide two, thanks, Tim. Let's read the passage together. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So, if you're a Christian here this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, the headline news is, you've been raised with Christ. You have, it's already happened, you have been raised with Christ. Can I hear a hallelujah to that? I heard one from Graham. That is good. Great. We have been raised with Christ. Just nudge the person next to you a minute and tell tell it to their face. You have been raised with Christ. What's true of Jesus is now true of you. You're a new person. You're a new creation. You belong to Jesus and you're part of his brand new world. You belong to God's new humanity And we're being renewed in the knowledge of our creator. Your old life, in which you once lived, is dead. And your new life, which is your real life, is hidden with Christ in God. And together we're going to unpack this morning what some of those wonderful words mean. And what they will mean for us tomorrow morning, what we're doing. What they will mean for us this afternoon and how we're living. Um, So. This morning, we want to get a little bit practical in what we're doing. So, um, are we ready to do some thinking as to how this book applies to our lives? Because at this point in the book, Paul starts to get really practical. And actually, I think that some of the things that he talks about um, have been already prophesied this morning. Tim, can we run the um, YouTube clip? And we might make a little bit clearer what we're all doing, having one of these in our hand.
2: we guess which children were allowed to have two marshmallows at the end of that experiment and uh, which children were unfortunately not permitted because the first one hadn't even survived. So I'm going to talk a little bit about this phrase, setting your heart and minds on things above, just as those children were encouraged to do. Not thinking about now, but holding on to something, thinking about something, and even for many of them, smelling something and licking something, and rolling it around with their fingers, but just not quite eating it. So when Paul talks about setting your hearts and mind on the things above, we're talking about spending an eternity with Christ and being glorified with him and having the fulfilment of all the promises of being made totally new in his presence when we're with him. But that could also sound a little bit sort of hippie couldn't it? And a bit sort of dreamy and a bit kind of being in la-la land. And we've all met those sorts of people as well, haven't we? So things above, what is that about? Well, it's looking towards our glory with Christ in eternity. It's the two marshmallows, okay? (laughs) That's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about eating the two marshmallows. But having our hope set on a complete and utter transformation of ourselves. And as we see Christ's excellence and completeness on the cross, and this is the secret, and we begin to experience some of that in the here and the now as well. When Christ appears in glory, then we will too with him. But Jesus has brought an end to one age, but has ushered in the beginning of his kingdom coming, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. On the cross, it's not just a commercial break or a pause before Jesus picks up the rest of the job and finishes it off. On the cross, Jesus said, It is finished. It is finished. An absolutely colossal statement. He's not just stalling things and pressing the pause button, but he's saying, it is finished. On the cross, Jesus is not saying, well, I've dealt with the worst of it. (laughs) A bit like when you mop up a spillage. You know, sometimes you just have to make do with getting rid of the worst of it. I'm not just getting rid of the worst of it, and then I'm going to come back and kind of do a proper clean-up job later on. But Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. I have cleaned everything up. And also when Jesus says, it is finished, he's also meaning it started as well. It has started too. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Not the new is coming or the new is coming. The new, 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 new is coming but the new has come right there and then. The first fruits as well are, of course, for us, testified by by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1, it says, Having believed, you are marked in him with the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of what is to come. The Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that the beginning has already started for us. So let's think a little bit about Setting hearts and minds on things above. So I wonder if you would like to turn to the person behind you. Let's not do person next to you because often it's your spouse and you've probably talked about these things and you know what they think about everything anyway. So let's turn to the person behind you or in front of you if you're at the back. And the question I have for one minute for you is what is the difference between setting hearts and minds on things above? What's the difference between setting your heart on things above and setting your minds on things above? So let's talk about that for one minute. Go. Okay, let's bring it back together again. Okay, as Simon said at the beginning, what we'd really like is to encourage you and help you to think this morning. And I know for some of us, we think out loud (laughs) and we think whilst we talk. So hopefully that has helped some of us to have a think about some of these things. Okay, so would anybody like to offer up some thoughts about what they think the difference is between setting our hearts and our minds on things above? Anything? Anybody? Yeah, great. Al, go for it. Okay, so heart is longings, and mind is sort of thinking about things a bit more. Okay, anybody else want to add to that? Setting your heart on something you haven't already thought about. Yeah. Okay, so you're saying that they're, they're potentially partners as well, not not or. Great. Very good. <laughs> if you didn't catch that, go and speak to Lynn afterwards. She'll explain to that. She's got. She's got another sermon brewing there for her. Great. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure lots of us have had similar thoughts and uh, variations on the same theme. I mean, the mantra of our age is, if it feels good, do it, isn't it? It's about instant gratification. And uh, there's something strangely comforting to know that uh, 2,000 years ago, (laughs) people were struggling with the same thing in a slightly different context. The heart is the seat of our emotions, And uh, setting our heart on things above involves making an active decision and a conscious choice of the will. And it's almost like the heart is the motivation. And we talked about desire, you know, wanting something, springing ourselves into action to do something comes from the heart. But also the mind is really important as well. The scriptures say, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul and all your strength. God is wanting us to not have compartmentalized adoration and worship for him, but to love him with every single part of our being, our physical bodies, our emotions, our motivations, our joys, our pains and our struggles as well. To love God through and uh, to let him to walk with us in all of those things. We need to be people who learn to think, not just going with the flow or blindly following the crowd. It's funny, isn't it? A lot of people think that when you become Christians, you actually switch your brain off and you stop thinking. Well, that's, that's the enemy's twist <laughs> because actually the absolute opposite is true. When we become Christians, when we acknowledge Jesus as our Saviour and Lord... It's time to switch on the brain and to start thinking about things, to start processing, reading, talking, all of those sorts of things. We should be a thinking people. And, uh, you know, we need to express that as well, not just private thinking, but out loud thinking, thinking with other people as well, thinking in community and studying community. But, of course, I could say quite a lot about that sort of thing, but I won't at the moment. So I'm going to hand over to Simon now. He's going to talk a little bit more about what being hidden in Christ means. Since you've been raised with Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, set your heart and your mind on things above. Literally, seek after,
0: think about, and desire Jesus. So there's this wonderful phrase, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And we're just going to unpack a little bit of what that means? Our Kirsten, at the moment, our daughter, our middle daughter, who's four, she's having a bit of a tough time because she's got a big sister who's six. Kirsten can't quite do everything that Olivia does. So, um, like reading, like tying her hair in a bun, um, I've never learnt how to do that either. But. Um, And because Kirsten can't quite live up to what Olivia is doing, she ends up getting really frustrated and throwing fits of rage, actually, some of the time. And um, I guess some of us might feel like we live our Christian walk a bit like that, a bit feeling like we don't quite live up to the mark. We can't quite do it. We can't quite live up to our own expectations sometimes. And even this morning, I guess, some of us might be here, as we thought about last week, feeling a bit low, feeling like we've messed up, maybe feeling like I've messed up so much that I don't really belong here this morning with this lovely, happy group of people. And, you know, it doesn't matter how hard I try, I just can't seem to do it. If only I tried a bit harder at this Christian thing, well, if only I got up an hour earlier on a Sunday morning and spent an hour praying, then I might feel good enough to come here. But actually, I don't quite feel like I can do it. Let me just relieve some of that pressure for a moment Um, because actually there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves more acceptable to God there's nothing nothing that we can do to make ourselves more acceptable to God church isn't a place actually where you find lots of perfect people church is a place where you find people who are grappling with what it means to be those who follow Jesus together and we bring the mess of our lives um, before God and before one another we can't work our way into God's good books through towing the line with man-made rules and regulations that's what we heard last week actually thinking that we might be able to bridge the gap between us and God with our good behaviour minimises the seriousness of sin which separates us from God actually none of us is good enough But there is good news. Jesus is good enough. Jesus is good enough. In actual fact, he's the only one who has been and is and will be good enough. And actually, he's done everything that's required this morning to bring us back into relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's great news. And because our lives are hidden with him, remember, it's already happened, because our lives as Christians are are hidden with him, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Right. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. If you've accepted and embraced the work of the cross, then you're right with God this morning. Jesus is, Jesus is the only way to the Father. And that's the thing that marks out Christianity from any other religion on the face of the earth. The hymn writer put it like this. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of blood. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my saviour all the day long. This is for those that like these kinds of cuddly pictures. (laughs) My life is hidden with Christ in God. My life is hidden with Christ in God. God takes our story full of mistakes, full of blotches, full of things that perhaps we prefer weren't really there. And... Enfolds it into his greater story, where Jesus has the starring role. And everything that we now are is wrapped up in him. Children safe in our father's arms, as we've been singing about this morning. I'm not who I was. I'm a new creation. I'm in Christ. And when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. Jesus. And with Jesus, God is well pleased. God's view of me is in Christ. And Christ is perfect. So, what's all this mean for the here and now? Um, What's all this mean for how we're to live this week? All this stuff about hearts and minds set on things above, it it could seem a bit distant, couldn't it? Um, Actually, Jesus wants us to live in such a way this week that we bring heaven to earth As we're focusing on the things of heaven, on earth, as it is in heaven, is how we're to pray and how we're to live. So Paul then gets practical about two things. Let's take a look at the next part of the passage together. And he gets practical about sex, and he gets practical about speech. Two areas of human life that involve great potential for good and evil. Casual sex and casual talk are both, actually, destructive. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, remember, out with the old. But now, you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Sin separates us from God and it not only damages our individual relationship with God, it actually damages our relationships with one another as well. What I do affects you. That's what being part of the body means. Sin separates us from God and one another because of shame. If people really knew what I've been up to this week, then they wouldn't think I'm a particularly good Christian. So instead of hiding myself in God... I choose to hide myself alone, out of shame. I won't go to church this morning because um, I'm just feeling really guilty about my life at the moment. I'm not quite measuring the mark. I'm not quite living up to who God wants me to be. So I'll I'll just hide away by myself at home this morning. And I can't face being with other people. That's actually how this story starts in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sinned, God came looking, and they hid in shame. Shame puts up barriers between us and God. Actually, the same barriers that we read about later in this passage that Christ came to demolish and to bring down. So this morning, Christ wants us to throw off shame. Christ wants us to throw off shame. It's no longer part of our new designer wardrobe that God's got. ...in mind for us. It belongs in the old pile. Has everybody got an old pile of stuff where they ditch at home? It belongs in the old pile. Um, I want to recommend two books... um, ...which recognise some of the battles that we all face... ...in the area of sexual temptation and emotional fulfilment. One is Every Man's Battle... ...and one is Every Woman's Battle... Um, so as, as I'm talking this morning, if, if, if we're facing challenges in this area, um, here's some great resources that we could look at. Notice the titles. Every man's battle and every woman's battle. Everyone battles with sexual temptation. And we live in an age awash with sexual images um, my battle with sexual temptation increases if I choose to watch TV after 11 o'clock at night. Because it's full of trash and rubbish. Um, what do I need to do? What does Paul say? Put it to death. Starve it of oxygen. What does that mean for me? Well, turn the TV off. Um, I don't get it right all the time. Actually, um, Paul and I were... Um, Paul Hetler came round for uh, an evening on Friday night. Um, Gordy was having a hen party, so he needed a safe place. Not a hen party, that's the other one. <laughs> Gordy's already married. It's, it's, um, <laughs> it's all all right. Baby shower. <laughs> baby shower. <laughs> right, Gordy was having a baby shower at Ruth's house. Paul came round to my house to escape the excitement of the evening. Um, and um, we started watching this film, and after about five minutes, we just looked at each other and just thought, oh, we can't watch this. It's just full of filth, actually. So we had to turn it off. Anyway, there's very practical things that God says that we should do to avoid temptation. I haven't got time to go into lots of detail this morning, but what I do want to say is just to flag this as an area, again, where God wants us to live as clean kids, Together. And we need to help one another in this area of sexual temptation, men and women alike. And so I kind of just want to flag it and throw it out there and say, you know, where are you at on this issue? Where are you at in being open about it and open about your struggles with one another? Um, This is stuff that we need to be talking about with those who we are pastored by in our small groups, in our friendship groups. Remember, shame covers us. And we run away and hide, and we try and deal with it by ourselves. And sometimes we think, well, I'm the only person who's struggling with this. Actually, this is everyone's battle. So it needs to be an open area of conversation for us as a community. Some Christian communities are appalled at the slightest sexual sin, but it seems fine that they're full of malicious gossip, backbiting, bad temper, putting others down. There's a clear command here from Paul. In terms of speech, do not lie to each other. Do not lie to each other. Truth is often inconvenient, uncomfortable, embarrassing. And I don't know about you, but often for me the temptation is to make something just a little bit more palatable, out of fear probably of being rejected by that person. If I speak the truth, then I might be rejected if that truth is rejected. We want Oxford Community Church to be a place full of grace and truth. And actually, language is the lifeblood of any community. Our words can either be used to build up or to tear down. I used to work as a town planning consultant, and uh, the environment that I worked in was, was really interesting. Um, the boss of the company would basically moan to his PA about anyone in the company. The PA would then spread that amongst the secretaries. And you'd find out, basically, if you'd done something wrong, through this very weird route. And um, what it did, actually, was breed an atmosphere of distrust and of gossip and of malicious talk and of slander. But God calls Christian communities to act differently. That, That belongs with the old life. We're called to live differently to that and we're called to throw off anything that hinders I just want us to on those two things in terms of sexual purity and also in terms of speech as well Um, not finishing quite yet but just want to allow the Holy Spirit room for a moment just to speak to us and just to highlight anything that needs to be dealt with this morning, anything that belongs in the old that actually we've been tempted to put back on so, can we just close our eyes for a moment? Just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to search our hearts. What do we need to put to death this week? Practically, what do I need to stop watching? What do I need to stop listening to? Who have I spoken ill of in this community behind their back? What conversations do I need to stop engaging in at work? What do I need to consider dead, gone, buried, part of the old life? What happens when we mess up and we do? We admit it. We confess our sin. We receive God's forgiveness. We make amends with anyone that we've hurt. And then we move on. We don't have to live with this stuff. That kind of approach takes seriously who God is. So pray this with me. Search my heart O God, know all my thoughts and my ways. Have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Against you I have sinned. Cleanse me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart. O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Amen.
2: Great, thanks, Simms. I want to talk a little bit more about putting to death things because I believe that the ability, the motivation, the decision... And the empowerment for us as Christians to put things to death is a vital part of our spirituality and of our walk with God and of our becoming mature children as well and people of God. Now, I like to, I'm not ashamed about this, but I like to watch EastEnders. And um, I've, actually, I've actually decided not to watch it during Lent and to try and, and, pray, and use the time to pray instead. So, and I almost did, when I was in the newsagents yesterday, I saw this one of those TV magazines and I thought, well, I could just have a quick flick just to see what's happening. <laughs> and then I thought, no, you don't need two games, you don't need that. But anyway, but, um, but you know, as with all soap operas, um, it's basically a cyclical storyline um, that comes around about every three months. Um, but there is a particular kind of scene that is played out in EastEnders about every two weeks, and it's a scene where, um, of course, inevitably, in EastEnders, two people are falling out with one another. And uh, they're usually related to one another. So they have a Barney and, you know, a, a big old slangy mash, match. And uh, at the end of the argument, uh, there is sort of disownment. And, it uh, and you know, it, it culminates in the classic line, You're dead to me. And, uh, you know, and it... And it that line, it, you know, the script writers write that in about every every two weeks. You're dead to me. And then either it's a do, 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 or, you know, or something else happens. And, uh, but, you know, I do believe that we need to say the same thing to some of these things in our lives. You're dead to me. You mean nothing to me. You are not related to me. I don't know you and you don't know me as well speak to them let's be a people who speak to some of these things and keep on putting them to death i mean if you have ever found that you've only needed to deal with an issue once well the lord bless you and keep you Make his face to shine upon you, and please tell me your secret. Because, uh, because, you know, life is cyclical, isn't it, as well, for us, in terms of facing some of these things that Simon's talked about. They come, we deal with them, they go. They come around again, we deal with them, they go. They come around with them. So putting to death is a continuous action that we need to keep doing. And putting to death doesn't mean annihilating them. The things don't disappear, do they? But it's almost as we put these things to death, as we speak to them and say, I mean, if you want to say it in a Cockney accent to give more gravitas to it, you're dead to me. If that helps you, by all means do it. But when we do that, it doesn't disappear. But the corpse is laying next to us, but it's lifeless. It has no life. It has no power in it whatsoever. So it's there but it has nothing to it. It is dead to us. When Paul says, you've taken off the old self, it actually, it's the same thing as he says in in chapter 2, verse 15, when he says, Christ put off the powers and authorities. Same word. So Christ disarms the powers and the authorities. Next chapter, Paul says, you disarm those things. Same power, same Holy Spirit. Often we think we have a watered-down, weak orange squash version of the Holy Spirit given to us. (laughs) Okay? It is not. We have inside of us, living in us, the very same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead after three days. You know, this is not weak orange squash. This is premium orange juice with bits in. Okay? (laughs) It's more than that. We're eating the orange, you know, We've got the real thing in us. We have the real person of the Holy Spirit. All the power, all the resources, every single thing that we need. So if Christ can disarm the powers and the authorities, we can put them to death as well. I believe we can put them to death because we have the very same Holy Spirit living inside of us. Praise God. Brilliant. And we have the motivation as well. We have Christ's death and resurrection, which motivates us. And then we have the power as well. And those two things work in perfect partnership with one another. The motivation of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I don't know about you, but that gives me tremendous confidence when I see that thing trundling towards me again (laughs) for the nth time. And I think, hang on a minute. You've got the same spirit in you gains that raised Christ from the dead, you're able to speak to that again and say, You're dead to me let's go back a little bit to chapter 2 as well because after death comes burial and i feel like this is i know steve probably um touched on this last week but being buried with christ burial is separation and removal as well now we're in the time of lent at the moment as uh, obviously well most of us will know and it's a time when historically believers prepared for 40 days for the waters of baptism so lent for them was a time where they prepared themselves they got themselves right they sought they you know they they sorted this sort of stuff out that we're talking about in 2011. And they probably had to do that again and again and again. And when they emerged from the water, historically, believers were given a new set of clothes to wear. I love that. They were actually given a new set of clothes to wear for themselves. They could go home with it. It's kind of their sort of party bag thing. And I want to, uh, I, I guess I want to talk to uh, to. To two groups of us, well, we will fall into these two groups. Uh, burial in baptism, symbolized by the waters of baptism, is about identifying with Christ. And we are called as Christians to identify with Christ. Paul says continually, uh, you've, been, you know, you've been raised with him. You've been buried with him. You've been made alive in him. It's in him, with him. It's with Christ. It's about identifying with Christ. And I want to encourage you that if you have not been baptized, then have a think about it. And this is the time of year to be thinking about baptism of all times. Is there anybody who was baptized on Easter Sunday here? Anybody who's baptized on Easter Sunday? Oh, are there usually some. There's, there usually is somebody, but I mean I got baptized in July twenty years ago and afterwards I thought, Oh, we got baptized on Easter Sunday because that's one of the best days to do it. And historically people would you know, hundreds hundreds of people would get baptized on Easter Sunday. But I'd like to encourage you, if you have not thought about getting baptized, then that can be part of your life where you identify yourself with Christ and where you symbolically are buried. Now when I was baptized it was really weird, but God weird, like good weird, okay. It was like when I went back in the water, I felt like a videotape was erased. You know when you sort of press a button on a computer and then you go, I've just erased the whole thing. But in a good way, it was like that for me. I felt just that moment, that split second under the water, I felt like something, you know, the hard drive had just been erased for me. Not the memories of the stuff, but the weight and the burden, the fear, the anxiety and the shame of all those things had been wiped from the hard drive as I went down into the water. And as I came up again... I did feel like a different person. And I want to encourage you, if you want to experience that, talk to someone today before you go home about getting baptised. We've got all the stuff. We've got the water. We've got the baptistry. I can't promise you we'll buy you a new set of clothes. But please do talk to somebody about that. And for those of us who have been baptised, sometimes our baptism can be a distant memory for us. But you know, I believe the Lord wants us to live in the light of our baptism every day. And we make two vows when we get baptised. One is to renounce Satan, you're dead to me. And the other one is to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Saviour and Lord. And that is how we continuously put to death these things. By going back to that day in July, 20 years ago, And by, okay, I said it that day, I'm saying it today. I'm renouncing the works of Satan in my life as I see them coming towards me and as I see them go past me, as I've done some of them. But also, I say Jesus is Saviour and Lord as well and I put him over and above those things. So I want to encourage you, go back to your baptism day and that's one of the times and one of the ways in which you're able to put to death some of those things. So it's time for us to have a change of wardrobe, out with the old and in with the new. The key to our new life is found in verse 10. The new self is being renewed in the image of the creator. Paul says, you used to do that. You used to do that. So in other words, what he's saying is, you don't need to do that anymore. You don't need to do it anymore. You used to do that in your old self but you've put on something new. It is finished. It has started for you. So you don't need to do that anymore. And sometimes we forget, don't we? We used to have this Fiat Tipo years ago, and um, the electric window bust. And uh, we often go from Botley to Whitney, and there's a toll bridge there, a 5P toll bridge. And so um, we spent a whole year opening in the, you know, in the chills of winter as well, opening the door to try and, you know, get our arm around and give the 5P to the guy, often dropping it in the gutter. And, uh, you know, but actually one, one day we did get the window fixed. But, you know, it took me four days to stop opening the car door. <laughs> I'd almost forgotten where the button was. And I kept opening the door all the time. I think, oh, you know, doing it and I think, oh, I don't need to do that. But I thought, well, I'll do it now because I'm halfway here. You know, and we're a little bit like that, aren't we? Sometimes we just forget the window is fixed for us. We don't need to keep opening the car door and doing it the wrong way, doing it the long way, doing it the difficult way, succumbing to these things. The window works for us. It's not a gradual change either that comes from within. It's about putting on what Christ has done for us on the cross and wearing it as an active response. The new self is renewed in knowledge of the image of God. And uh, actually, I was going (laughs) to... I was going to bring some of what Simon calls his old faithfuls from his wardrobe today. But, um, but I actually, I left them at home. We were halfway here in the Botley Road, and I said, Oh, I forgot to bring your old faithfuls. And I thought, Oh, maybe that's the Lord's way of telling me not to embarrass my husband in front of other people. But um, Simon has this kind of thing about old faithfuls. And every now and again, I put a pile of clothes on our bed with a, with a piece of paper on it saying, Please... <laughs> Please can I take him to a charity shop? And he sorts them out again, and the old faithfuls go in the bottom of the wardrobe again. And, you know, some of these clothes, I have not seen him wearing them for 11 years. Um, but they're just, you know, they've obviously got some sort of hold over him. I mean, you know, they're just, you know, like some of these, he's got this sort of, what he, he calls it a Hawaiian shirt. Um, I would like to call it sort of an accident in a fabric-making factory, really. In shades of, I mean, you know, like in the 90s where it was all about neutrals, browns and greys and creams. So this is like a neutral Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely not rustic chic. Sort of more more rusty chic. Um, but, uh, <laughs> and you know, shapeless jumpers that kind of sort of extra, 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 extra large that have never fitted him and that sort of drown him. Anyway, if you, if you want to see them when next time you come round, I'll be quite glad to show you them. That's fine. But it's almost like get rid of the old faithfuls because you don't need to wear them anymore. You have a new set of clothes to put on. Chuck out the jeans with the ripped knees, and the ripped everywhere, get rid of them and chuck them out. Now, one of the things that I love about transformation, about becoming more like Jesus, is that there are a thousand and one different ways to do it. It's not like going to the doctor and getting a pill or a cream, is it? You know, rub this on in three days, you'll be a bit more Christ-like. But there are so many different ways. And Simon said about, you know, reading some good books. Um, Just want to say about, again, getting rid of things is about rejecting thought patterns, saying you're dead to me getting some prayer and deliverance from people that we trust, putting yourself in the right environments, the right places, and removing yourself from the wrong environments where you know that that will be a temptation for you. But more importantly as well, putting in the good stuff. So in other words, creating God-centered thought patterns as well. Practicing them, reading your Bible, Praying, listening to God, listening to edifying music and TV programs. Listen, oh, you're probably thinking, no, stop, stop watching EastEnders then, Gaines. Listening to your friends as well, and uh, you know, one of my favourite phrases is um, that we often, I often say to people is, uh, it, you know, being more like Jesus won't happen by magic. It doesn't happen by magic, and it doesn't happen by wishful thinking either well, maybe one day I'll be able to get that sorted out and maybe God will highlight that one day for me. Maybe I'll be in the right place at the right time with the right person, the right motivation to get prayed for one day and then I'll do it. And, uh, you know, I want to say to you lovingly, if you're wishful thinking about getting rid of some of these things and putting these things together, but you've never told anybody, you've never asked anybody to pray with you, you've never read what the Bible says about it, you've never read a Christian book about it, you've never put on a worship CD or, I don't know, just, you know, taken the time out to do it. Well, <laughs> I think you ought to think about tackling it a different way and doing something about it, telling some someone about it and putting something on. We often focus about uh, we often focus on getting rid of the nasty things in our life. But do you know what I mean? Well, do you know when we get rid of something, it creates a vacuum that we need to fill with something straight away. Fill with the truth of God's word, what He says about Himself, what He says about us, what He says about other people as well. And uh, one of my favourite things as well that I well, it's not just a favourite thing, but I believe there's something in it is about verbalising it. Let it come out of your mouth as well. And so, you know, I do talk to myself a lot <laughs> in the natural. <laughs> and uh, but, you know, you know, actually, it serves me good. So if you, any of you are thinking you've ever felt weird because you talk to yourself a lot, it's a gift from the Lord. I'll tell you this morning because it will enable you to speak out the truth of God over your own spirit as well. And, you know, I'd encourage you to let it come out and say, you're dead to me. If you're in the office, you know, you just need to say, you're dead to me. But if you're at home, you can go, you're dead to me. (laughs) You can say it with the full power that it deserves. But also to, you know, to just receive as well what Christ has for you and to verbalize that. Often I say, you know, when something, when somebody prays something or says something and I think I need to receive it, I say, I receive it, Lord. I say that out loud. (laughs) Because saying it for me symbolizes, it incarnates something of what is going on in my spirit. I receive that. So to finish really, Paul pans the camera out there at the end of the passage to talk about this sort of thing, putting to death, putting the old off, but receiving the new. This is a community thing. It's not just about going into our bedroom, shutting the door and doing it on our own. But it's actually about doing this as a community as well. We cannot do this on our own. And also Paul encourages us that it's vital the way in which we see one another. We have to see one another with new clothes on. When we look at people, we need to see them in the light of who they are in Christ Jesus. To see the best, to see the gold, to see the eternity, to see the things above in the life of the people that we have been given to walk with as well. So I'm going to hand back to Keith because I feel like there's a little bit more response for us to do this morning. But uh, I do want to say before I hand back to Keith that however you respond to the Lord this morning, can you please take a snapshot of it in your memory in order that you're able to do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Let's face it, it's easy to respond to the Lord here on a Sunday morning, isn't it? We're with people that love us, who are like-minded. There's a good, you know, God is here. There's a good atmosphere of godliness around here. Nice comfort seats, we can have a cup of tea and coffee afterwards as well, and got tissues as well, you know, if we're a bit snotty afterwards. But, uh, you know, it's easy to respond to the Lord here. But Symes and I would really love us all to have some habits that have formed this morning, that however we respond this morning to the Lord, we remember it. And when we need to respond to it on Tuesday lunchtime, we're able to go back to this place and to do that very same thing again. Great, thanks, Gordy,
3: where are you? Um, I just felt like God uh, spoke to me during that and wanted me to share something. One of the pictures that was up was of uh, like a, a kind of winter tree with a couple of leaves, like kind of brown leaves clinging to it. And yesterday I went for a walk in the morning and um, saw two trees next to each other and just felt like God drew my attention to them. I presumed just for me, but maybe for other people too. And there was a tree that was kind of it was in this it was in the kind of spring sunshine, but it was like it was still in winter. And it had just these few brown leaves that were literally kind of quivering in the wind and they were kind of so almost coming off, but they weren't coming off. And right next to it was a huge tree where all the leaves had come off and the um like the spring buds were starting to come through. Not starting to come through, they were there. They were kind of bursting, kind of ready with life. And I felt like God Uh, wanted to speak through that picture this morning and that there are people here this morning who are like that bare kind of winter tree Uh, and there are kind of things in your life that actually to God they're already dead because you have been raised with Christ but in your life they're still kind of there and it's kind of like they're clinging to you but it's kind of a little bit like actually you're clinging to them as well and there's a feeling of thinking, gosh, I already feel bare. I feel vulnerable. I feel scared. And if I let go of these things, they're so part of you. They're so part of your clothes and what you wear that you, kind of, you don't want to let them go. You don't want to let uh, the wind of God's spirit, I was feeling, um, you don't want to let the wind of God's spirit kind of blow them away and kind of blow them off. Um, but that actually, when you do do that, yes, there will be a, a time then a feeling, that bareness, but what will come will be that new life, and will be that fruit and that kind of yeah that newness um and just along with that yeah god's not speaking that in a in a way of condemnation but in a way of kind of of hope and of kind of encouragement and just kind of come on like you're in you're in the season but you need to really step into that season and um, so i was reminded of a verse in song of songs or verses that say see the winter is past the rains are over and gone flowers appear on the earth the season of singing has come the cooing of doves is heard in our land the fig tree forms its early fruit the blossoming vines spread their fragrance arise come my darling my beautiful one come with me and that's what god is speaking to us this morning
1: um it's one to suggest that we do i feel like there is a just a kind of a taking stock and a going away and putting into practice to be doers of the word this morning, not just hearers only. Um, and I think most of this morning is about actually going away and working it out. But I, the sense that I have is nonetheless there is a place of particular response this morning. I want to give a couple of invitations too. Um, if in in some way right now you actually feel challenged about whether it's baptism or following on from Gordy's word about actually you need to let these leaves fall off the tree and die I simply want you to make a response as you make a decision this morning Not just sitting in your chair and letting it that decision with you and God but actually doing something public about it. as we sing this song together in the moment uh you just come and stand one side down the front people just come pray with you not masses of ministry but just supporting you in the fact that you're making a decision right now to shake something off and move something forward